You're listening to Nonprofit Confidential, episode number two. Hey guys, welcome to Nonprofit Confidential. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Sheila Nimishakavi, the president of Third Suite, a consulting firm that specializes in early stage and small to mid-size nonprofit organizations. Here, it is my job to tease out tips, tricks, and hacks from exceptional nonprofit organizations and share them with you. On this podcast, you'll hear interviews with everyone from executive directors, office managers, volunteer coordinators, and board members. My goal here is really to share with you tips from nonprofits for nonprofits. If you haven't had a chance to yet, please check out our first episode that featured Jeff LaFada from Empowering People for Inclusive Communities. In that episode, we discussed starting a nonprofit, lessons learned along the way, learning to let go, self-care, and so much more. Today's episode is brought to you by Third Suite's new course, Nonprofits for Newbies. This course is perfect for anyone who is new to the nonprofit field or moving up in their career, perhaps focusing more on management and administration, first-time board members, or really just anyone who needs a refresher. Nonprofits for Newbies offers a deep dive into fundraising and administration. If you decide to sign up, you'll receive an exclusive invitation to our private Facebook group where you can chat with Third Suite consultants as well as your peers. So if you're interested, head on over to www.thirdsuite.com and use promo code nonprofitconfidential, that's one word, at checkout and you'll receive 10% off. Okay, let's get right into this wide-ranging conversation with Rachel Douglas, who is the executive director of the Chrysalis Institute. The Chrysalis Institute is a wonderful resource here in Richmond, Virginia, where I'm based, and it offers mindfulness and spiritual exploration with an emphasis on deep introspection. In this conversation, we delve into both of these topics and focus on how our inner work can help us define our purpose and gain clarity. We also talk about branding and marketing for nonprofit organizations. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Rachel. Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. I'm originally from New York. I grew up in Florida, and I moved to Virginia about 18 years ago. Just something interesting about me, I was a terrible student growing up. I almost dropped out of high school. I did drop out of college, but when I returned via community college five years later, that's when I excelled. I just needed some time to experience life. So I have an AA in marketing and a BIS in women's studies, that's interdisciplinary studies. Um, I have a master's in social work. And now, even though I was terrible as a student growing up, I identify as a lifelong continuous learner and will say that none of my previous education compares to what I've learned since finding Chrysalis Institute. (laughs) I'll also share that I worked at VCU for 15 years before coming to Chrysalis Institute. Most of that time was in a program I adored called Nonprofit Learning Point, which offered management and leadership classes to nonprofit professionals throughout Central Virginia. And that position is really what prepared me to take the helm at Chrysalis, which is where I found my perfect fit. (laughs) 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So taking back a little bit further. So you were at VCU. Did you have a nonprofit experience before working at Nonprofit Learning Point? I had worked for some small businesses and volunteered at many nonprofits. And then working for at VCU is like working for the state. But my program was geared towards nonprofits. And so it was then that I really took the deep dive into the nonprofit world. Very cool. Very cool. So how did your role change working for Nonprofit Learning Point where you're working with nonprofits to now leading an organization? So you're actually, you know, implementing the things that you talked about at Nonprofit Learning Point. Yeah. So I learned a lot while I was there, you know, over eight years, not only did I organize the classes, but I took a lot of the classes. And so I knew what were considered like best practices, although I don't like that term, I would say maybe leading practices. I learned a lot about like what a nonprofit is supposed to do. So when I came over to Chrysalis, I was like very clear with them. I've never actually done a lot of these things, but I have an idea of how they're supposed to be done, which was actually a benefit in a way. Yes. Um, So I really had this guide for taking me through Chrysalis and Crystal's was at the perfect point to receive those skills. They had never had staff before. They were rich with content expertise in an area that I really knew very little about, which is sort of the spiritual development mindfulness when I came in. But I had all this nonprofit management and leadership expertise that was like raring to apply um, to a nonprofit. And so we've... We, meaning like me and the organization, have learned a lot from each other. Yes. Oh, that's really cool. I love that phrase, leading practices, not best practices. You know, like you hear these terms being thrown around of like, oh, you know, this is what you should be doing. And it's applied broadly to all organizations. But really, at every stage of a nonprofit, there are different things that are considered leading practices at the time. You know, like a, a multi-million dollar organization isn't the same as the $100,000 grassroots, $100, grassroots organization. So I love that. Definitely love that. Yeah, and I think best implies that there's really nowhere to go from there. Yeah. Um, and I think what I intend to do is always be learning. What is the next best way that I can be? And I'll do what I think is best at the time, knowing I could be smarter tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And I reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow. (laughs) Yes, definitely. I love that. Absolutely. Cool. So, all right. So along the lines of Chrysalis, can you share a little bit about the mission and the services that Chrysalis provides? Our formal mission is to encourage people to think about spirituality outside the conventional boundaries of any one particular faith. I would say informally, the work that we do explores the potential that exists in all of us as individuals and together as a human family, recognizing the interconnectedness of all of life. And we do that through programs. So we offer regularly scheduled time to practice things like journaling or movement or meditation. We also seek national and international speakers for lectures on urgent and relevant topics. And, you know, we have eight-week deep dive courses on mindfulness-based stress reduction, on wise aging, on compassion cultivation, many, many topics. With all that said, what our programs have in common is that they will help and inspire you to live your meaningful life, whatever that means to you, which is going to be different from what it means to me or anybody else. So we feel like this is a place where you can 
discover and explore your truth, which is going to be different from any kind of capital T truth. Yeah. Um, and where you can ground yourself so you can go out and do the work, your inner work, whatever that means to you. And where you can sense a connection to all beings everywhere without distinction, without exclusion, without separation. So no big deal. No, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, here. Like <laughs> That's really cool. That's amazing. So I guess is the would you say the overall theme of the trainings and the workshops and the retreats that you guys offer would it fall into that like mindfulness wellness space? You know those terms are so broad that yes, okay, yeah. <laughs> the answer to that is yes and more. So yes, mindfulness, but also positive psychology, Jungian psychology, anything that kind of opens you up to do your inner work. And what we mean by that is there's so much to do in the world. Oh my gosh, Um, there's so many options these days. (laughs) And you can't do everything. Yeah. You just can't as one person, not just you, Sheila, but everyone. Yeah. And it's really important to know what is your work to do in the world. And we believe that one of the ways that you can discover what that work is, is through deep introspection. And so whether you take a program to inspire you or to think about something you've never thought of before in a new way, all of it kind of helps you hone what is your work to do in the world. And so, yeah. you know, there is no shortage of that. So we believe that progress is an inside job. So you come and grow your insides with us. Yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. Thank you. That's beautiful. Sure. <laughs> So, I mean, along the, the topic of mindfulness, you always hear, I mean, that word is thrown around so much these days. I've even seen some organizations put like a moment for mindfulness on there as something to do during the day. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about what mindfulness is and maybe how that differs from spirituality? Yeah. So I can tell you how Chrysalis would define mindfulness. Okay. We would say it's the practice of paying attention on purpose to the present moment. It can be practiced formally through different forms of meditation and informally as we go throughout the day, so your mindful moment. Observing our thought patterns and cultivating our attention on purpose allows us to gain a clarity that enables us to live with intention and reduce stress and be more present. And then I'll just add one more important piece, which is without judgment. Yes. (laughs) And that's a pivotal piece. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, you know, to me, spirituality is sort of what I was talking about earlier, which is that like interconnectedness to all of life and something bigger than our own individual selves, like our own ego. And mindfulness is this very specific practice, which has formal and informal components. And there, you know, are people that will say, well, what's the difference between meditation and mindfulness? And all of those are really valid questions. And there's, you know, a lot there to unpack. I would say (laughs) there are a lot of different ways to meditate. And a mindfulness formal practice includes meditation. And there are basically three ways that you can practice that meditation. So there's concentration and awareness and loving kindness. And we have an amazing intro class that goes through all three of those practices and then how to apply that to your life. So, But essentially, meditation is simply practicing concentration. Our minds generate thousands of thoughts a day and are easily distracted. And that is not 
again, not a judgment. That's what our brains are supposed to do. Right, yeah. Um, But it's magnified by our modern-day lifestyles of constant connection and very little downtime for rest and reflection. And we can train our concentration just like we train our biceps. You know, you, you lift weights, you do a bicep curl, and your muscle eventually gets a little bit stronger. You practice meditation and watching your thoughts And you get distracted, but then you bring yourself back and you remember, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to be thinking about my grocery list. I'm supposed to be meditating. And that's a bicep girl. Okay. So that actually counts. Okay. Because I definitely fall victim to that because every time I try to sit and meditate, literally, you know, everything I have to do in the day starts popping up. I'm like, oh, no, wait, I need to focus (laughs) and just keep coming back to it. Yeah. And I think people think that means they're bad at meditation. Yes. And it doesn't. Okay. That's your brain doing what your brain is supposed to do. (laughs) It just means that you haven't practiced. Yeah. That's so good to know. (laughs) And even when you're really practiced, it doesn't mean that your brain doesn't still go off. Yeah. But it goes off less and you're able to bring it back quicker. Yes. Oh, good to know. Definitely good to know. (laughs) You know, a lot of the stuff that you were talking about in terms of what Chrysalis does, in terms of interconnectedness and figuring out what your purpose is, I just think that's so important for people who work at nonprofits to know that. You know, the work that everyone's doing, I mean, you're working day in and day out for potentially a change that you won't even see in your lifetime. (laughs) So having this bigger focus on the reason you're doing the work and being able to be driven by that is really important. So definitely taking up um, any of the practices that are offered by Chrysalis would be so helpful for people who work in nonprofits. But for someone who is new to mindfulness and maybe thinking of incorporating the practice into their lives, what's the best place to start? So there are a lot of places online that you can go, and um, it's important to know which ones are credible. So I would say if you're looking for something online, a place like Sounds True is a really good place to start. We're starting with Tara Brock's podcast. If you're local to Richmond, you're really lucky because Christmas <laughs> is here, and we have a ton of places where you can plug in to mindfulness. In fact, next semester, we're turning our entire focus to mindfulness to showcase some of our offerings. We are kicking things off with an extraordinary keynote speaker, Ruth King, who recently published a book called Mindful of Race. And her book illustrates how mindfulness can serve as a powerful tool for really difficult conversations, including racism. So we're committed to sharing mindfulness tools throughout the community in classes, in a teacher training program, through outreach, partnering with businesses, and by contributing to the national discourse on mindfulness through research studies. And we we just actually finished one up with VCU, where they're analyzing the data right now, and I can't wait to see what comes out of that. So we know that mindfulness is totally a buzzword, like we talked about earlier. So (laughs) we are committed to being Richmond's trusted center for discovering and experiencing the benefits of mindfulness. Yeah, that's so important because there are so many people touting that phrase word mindfulness these days that having some good resources is really helpful. So yeah, if you can just send me those links and I'll put them in the show notes so people can access those links. Yeah. So chrysalisinstitute.org slash programs and chrysalisinstitute.org slash mindfulness. Cool. So kind of switching gears here, you wrote honestly, probably one of the my favorite blog post I have ever read. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was beautiful and it was so moving and just oh. really spoke to 
the power of mindfulness and, you know, spirituality and everything that you've learned in Crystallis throughout your time here. Would you mind maybe if you can share that experience and maybe talk about how your practice helped you during that difficult time? Yeah. So I would say if you want to read the blog post, it's also on the um, Chrysalis website under our, our blog, which is called Words for the Journey, where we publish stories, you know, once a month. It's all original content. And in this one, I told the story of my birth one year, almost to the day that it happened. And at the time I thought, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be great. I'll have this wonderful reflection. And I will say it was actually really hard to write, (laughs) reliving all of that. So the, it's a story of how I went into labor. uh, Actually, I never went into labor. How I, how my water broke two months before my due date and how my mindfulness practice showed up for me. And so before I started my mindfulness practice, you know, I kind of knew about it and I was on the fringes of it and I understood what meditation was, but I really felt like it was one of those things where you have this immediate response where you meditate and then you feel less stressed or your mind is all of a sudden clear where it wasn't before. And and that's not at all how my practice has, has worked. What I have found is that you don't meditate for the present moment or for your, you know, the time that you're sitting. You meditate so that you can respond instead of react for whatever's about to come your way. And you don't know what's about to come your way. None of us really know. So you practice, and then when you need it the most, your practice shows up for you. And so there were a lot of unknowns, you know, having my water break two months before, going into an emergency room, having my plan of action shifted time and time again. And each time I was able to meet that without resistance, because that would not have helped. All of that was going to happen anyway. It was really not on my, it was all out of my control. So all I could do is just accept what was happening without resistance and be vulnerable and continuously ask myself, how can I be with this right now? And that's really what helped me through. And ultimately, it's a traumatic story, listeners, if you go and read it. Um, (laughs) But... Ultimately, I was able to be present for one of the most magical things that a human can do, which is have a baby, even through trauma after trauma after trauma. And so it was a little bit like coming back to that story was a little bit jarring. But then again, you know, my practice showed up for me so I could take a moment and say, okay, what is my body feeling right now? And what's underneath that? And then continue to tell my story. Yeah, definitely. I just really wanted to tell that story because I feel like birthing is also a very unique experience. We were talking about, you know, spirituality being very unique to the individual. And I think birthing can also be very unique to the individual. And there are very few stories. I've never seen a story out there like mine. And so I wanted to put it out there in the landscape as neither a positive or a negative thing, but just a thing. Yeah, just what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I feel like if your practice can get you through (laughs) emergency surgery, like long stays in the hospital, that's reason enough for everyone to sign up for a class. (laughs) So during the time, so when you were, you know, at the hospital and you're going through surgery and you're, you know, waiting for your baby to come home, did you know that your mindfulness had kicked in or is it in hindsight that you realized that's what got you through? 
It was both. So I was actively practicing maybe a little bit more than usual, um, <laughs> you know, trying to ground myself, be in the moment. And one of the things I did that got me through those really long NICU days was a singing meditation with my baby. And so, you know, you sing to your baby anyway. It's sort of this like natural thing that springs from you. And so we sang what's called loving kindness or meta meditations together where we share our good wishes for ourselves, for the people that we love, for the people that are just neutral in our life, and then even outwards to the people that are really difficult to us. And it's a really great way of like, cultivating forgiveness and cultivating interconnectedness. It's really hard to other somebody um, and be mad at somebody when you're putting them beside you and offering loving kindness. So I can think of, you know, people who I would normally find like, quote unquote, repulsive, but even those repulsive people want to feel loved and they want to feel safe and they want to be happy. Yeah. So we have a lot more in common than we think we do. Oh, that's such a beautiful message. Thank you for sharing that. That absolutely needs to, you know, everyone needs to hear that. (laughs) It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, and it's, I always try to think back on how this practice can really help people in the nonprofit field. You know, there are days when you have like an angry donor who calls you (laughs) and they're just so mad. And it's like the silliest thing, like, you know, you gave them the wrong napkin at the gala and you just, it ruined your day. But I think something like that can really ground you and bring you back to that big picture of, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's, um, you know, this is just a part of the experience that you go through. So I think that's really cool. I'll say one thing about that, (laughs) that I have also learned through my practice. And that's this concept of self-compassion which is huge in this role, especially like what you're talking about. There are many times where you're just gonna disappoint someone because your expectations were different. Yes. And that's okay. And so what mindfulness has helped me do is recognize that this is a moment. (laughs) They would say like, this is a moment of suffering. I would say, you know, like this is an oops moment. Like I messed up, okay. I'm not the first person to ever give a donor the wrong napkin. Right. (laughs) So let me be kind to myself. Yeah. Um, And it really helps to just put my hand on my heart and say, let me be kind to myself. Yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, And then they can be as mad as they want and I can, and I can be present for them while also giving myself compassion. Yeah, I know that that's perfect because it's, you know, you're able to meet their needs in the moment, but then not have that reflect internally kind of get you through that negative. I mean, you know how it is when something negative happens in a day, everything just spirals from there. Like you stub your toe, you're like, this is the worst day ever. (laughs) And everything just spirals down from there. So definitely that gets you back in a compassionate mindset. Yeah. And recalibrated. Yes, definitely. And able, you know, just to move on from there and tackle the rest of the day. Cause unfortunately the day doesn't stop <laughs> just because someone was a little angry with you. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So let's see along kind of the, you know, that idea of slipping into a negative mindset. So if you have stressful days or, you know, you just had a, a rough day, do you have any like tips or tricks that you use to get through those times? I do. I am so lucky because I'm at in this like epicenter of wisdom. I know everyone's going to be so jealous of you <laughs> if you listen to this. I have really incredible mentors and advisors, and I am such an extrovert that when I'm when I'm dealing with a problem or if I feel like I'm suffering in some way, I have to talk through it. Sometimes I don't even know if 
what I'm thinking until I say it. So I'm really lucky that I'm surrounded with amazing people and I have mentors that I call on to help me talk through it and they help me do some inquiry, right? Why is this affecting me so strongly? What is underneath that feeling in my body, you know, whether it's in my throat or my heart or my stomach and really help me dig down and say, you know, okay, this is where I'm feeling it. What does it mean that I'm feeling it there? And then to just be with that. And often there's so much wisdom that comes out of that, you know, oh, I'm feeling really offended by this person because what she said really spoke to this old story that I tell myself that no one's ever going to take me seriously. It's that imposter syndrome. They're going to know that I'm not good enough to be an executive director. And they're really calling me out on the carpet right now. That's my stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they might not, they probably actually don't know any of that stuff about right, me. That's yeah. my own insecurity and these old stories that I tell myself and that what they said just pulled that right back up for me. That's not really on them. Yeah. What they said was really about them. <laughs> so that's me continuously having to do my my inner work. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so true. That just plays out in so many ways, you know, in like the office and people are getting upset with each other and there's just a, the barrier to communication because, you know, I have my stuff and my coworkers have their stuff and it's not the same stuff. So <laughs> it's all clashing and everyone's interpreting things in based on their past and little stories that they tell themselves. So yeah, yeah that's our so dang humanity. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Let's go a little bit kind of general. All right. So if you can go back to your early days of working in nonprofits. So I guess it would be even just going through your time at VCU and early days at Chrysalis. If you could give yourself a piece of advice, what would that be? I would say to trust myself more, to believe in my inherent enoughness, that I often tried too hard to be what other people wanted me to be. And so... I hid my own gifts and my own unique perspectives that I brought to the table. And those are my biggest strengths. So I really wasn't doing anyone any, any favors by hiding my light. And I would say when I, what makes me feel successful is when I am myself and I let my light shine and I share my unique perspectives at the table and recognizing that that's a gift to myself and to other people. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. You know, cause it's, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of how to say this properly, but you know, when you're sitting in a meeting and you're thinking, you know, I want to offer my opinion, but you're worried about what everyone will think, but really your creativity is what makes, is what makes any organization better. You know, especially when everyone's, you know, struggling to gain funding or, you know, try to stay afloat, you need every idea possible. <laughs> so definitely that, that makes a lot of sense and it's such good advice. <laughs> yeah, I, it takes some being vulnerable, but I think that's a really good thing to be and to yes. practice being, being vulnerable. And then it also takes some awareness of knowing where your fit is. So I know that I am best, my best fit is with a smaller growing organization and not with a large mature organization. I know that my fit is better with a casual culture rather than more of a formal um, yes. culture. And I can go on and on, but my dear friend said to me once about something completely unrelated, 
you know home when you find it. And I apply that phrase to everything. <laughs> but I, I think it's that. really true when it comes to work. You know home when you find it. That's so, so, so true. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I want to highlight that because, you know, if, especially people finding themselves jumping from job to job, I think it takes some real introspection and thinking about who you are and being okay with who you are and just saying, you know, this is the environment that I prefer. This is the environment that I thrive in and just be okay with that. (laughs) Just go full force into it, you know, find the organization that matches your personal passions and you can, you know, mix your personal passion with your actual career. There's nothing better than that. (laughs) There's nothing better. And it's a privilege Yes, for sure. A lot of people aren't afforded that privilege, but there's no better feeling than that. Yes. Oh, for sure. (laughs) For sure. Great. Okay. So what is, can you think of a mistake that you learned from? And it may have, you know, seemed really horrible at the time, but when you look back on it, you're like, actually, I really grew a lot from that experience. Yeah. I would say, oh gosh, I make mistakes all the time. (laughs) And I think that's really important. Yes. I think there's this idea of failure, which I don't believe in, <laughs> and I get made fun of. <laughs> the president of my board will say, well, Rachel, that's very um, <laughs> diplomatic of you to say, but I actually think it's really important to be in an organization that lets you fail because you learn so much. Yes. In fact, you probably learn more from your mistakes than you do from when things go really smoothly. Mm-hmm. So I can say, just knowing myself, I tend to get ahead of myself sometimes. I love a good idea. Good ideas are so seductive. And I want to do all of the good ideas because, hey, that's why we're really good ideas. (laughs) Um, So taking a pause Mm -hmm. is a really important practice for me. Um, And what I have learned at Crystal's is that you, in my work, in this work, you really can't pause often enough. Have I talked to the appropriate key stakeholders? Have I brought everyone together? Have I said it multiple times? Have, you know, do people feel heard? So yeah, just pausing and then also using that pause to center myself back to my intention and our organizational intention. And then that and also pulling from the wisdom of the people around me and knowing that I don't have to have all the answers. Yes. And usually when I'm faced with a hard decision and I feel like it's a decision that I have to make alone, that's when I misstep. Yeah. So when I'm faced with a hard decision and I pull in my president and my past president and some folks on the faculty and, you know, the staff, maybe a participant, that's when I get this really rich perspective and come up with a solution that I never would have come up with on my own. Yes, that, that's really important. And that's such good advice, you know, especially because a lot of times founding board members stay on the board or you have the past president who may just be a board member, you know, like immediate past president or something. But pulling all those people together to make the difficult decisions, especially when it comes to strategy and vision for the organization, is so helpful. You look back on it and it just, it makes so much sense and you come up with a much better solution than you would have on your own. Yes. That's really good advice. And then you can say, which I love to say, I don't take credit for any of the successes or any of the failures of this. There you go. (laughs) There you go. This is part of a group. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So dealing with your board has been, they obviously help you a lot, which is really nice. But what do you think, if you had to pick anything, what would you say is like the hardest part about running an organization? Answering this question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, um, I actually can't think of 
it is a hard job. It is a really hard job. But if I were to think about like, what are the things that I do every day? I can't think of what are the tasks that are really hard to do. There are things that are sometimes really enjoyable and really unenjoyable. (laughs) Um, And so I don't know what, I don't really have anything that is the hardest (laughs) of it. Although I do think it is the hardest job I've ever had. And it's probably because I feel such a commitment to the mission and spreading awareness about what we do. I take it really seriously. And so that is sort of quote unquote hard in itself, but nothing I can say, you know, that is really hard. There are things that where I am not strong that I have to depend on my team for. And I really believe in surrounding yourself with brilliant people and letting them fly and that you need diversity at the table because you can't be great at everything. So like I can tell you, I could talk to people from morning to night in meetings, asking them for money, um, talking about the future and visioning and not be tired. I could do that with high energy probably all day long. But if you ask me to then put that information in our database, forget it. I'm done. I'm done. I have to go surround myself with chocolates and a reward system. And I have to complain about it a little bit beforehand. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's really important that I have people around me who are like, Oh, I love databases. <laughs> Give me that spreadsheet here. Let me enter all of that information oh and I'll just God. text you. <laughs> Who is this angel and how can we all get one yeah. of them? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think that's so true. Like you, what makes a job hard is when you're con- constantly doing things that don't play to your strengths. Yes. You know, like that is just... I think even of the times that I've hated work that I've been doing is because it's stuff that I'm just not naturally good at. And it's such every little thing, every action just feels like a chore. Whereas if you're, you know, podcasting, it just time flies because I'm like enjoying it. It's super fun. And yeah, it totally makes sense. So on the flip side of that, what's the best part of your job? I would say what makes me like jump out of bed every morning is the fact that I get to It's in service to our mission. And in that sense, amplifying the voice of our faculty and the wisdom of our faculty. They are such knowledgeable, compassionate, wise people. And they have dedicated this part of their life to sharing what they've learned through mindfulness, through compassion, through positive psychology, through Jungian psychology, through movement, through, you know, moving out of your head and letting your body do some thinking. They're all so knowledgeable and passionate about sharing that. And so the work that I do as executive director essentially is to share that throughout Richmond to say, like, if you're experiencing high levels of stress, you can come to Chrysalis and we can help you with that. If you are down on yourself, you know, you can come to Chrysalis. If you're feeling uninspired, you know, you can come to Chrysalis and learn something. And that to me is, is so exciting. And then it also just goes back to what I shared with you a little bit earlier, that I feel such a commitment to this idea of tikkun olam or like repairing the world. So I grew up with tikkun, as a Jewish person, I grew up with this value of tikkun olam. So you can't, you're not responsible for fixing the world, but also you can't turn your back on it. 
but there's so much to do and I can't possibly do all of the things. I can't address the straws and the harp seals and the migrant children and the discrimination, police brutality. There's on and on and on, right? The list is endless. So what is my work to do in the world? And our faculty and our classes help you discover that. And so in essence, people come here and then they leave knowing, you know, they do their inner work and then they leave knowing what is mine to do in the world. And it doesn't have to be the same. That's the beautiful thing about it. So we have to do something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. So Chrysalis, I mean, you guys are definitely ever evolving. You know, you have so many classes that you offer and there's, you know, new keynotes all the time. And I know you're currently... Uh, starting to do a rebrand. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about how did you know it was time for a rebrand? Because you guys have been successful. It isn't like, you know, you weren't successful and now you need to like amp up your efforts or anything. You've been kind of a Richmond establishment for a long time. So how did you know that it was time for a rebrand? And can you even touch on like, what does it mean to, to do a rebrand? Yeah. So for us, what that means is presenting ourselves in a more accessible accessible way. And we are in a really unique place. So we're about to celebrate our 25th anniversary. Um, so we've been around for a really long time. And almost all of that time was as a completely volunteer-run organization. So I've been here for three and a half years. Our oldest staff is five years old. So we are old, but we're young. Right. I would say in terms of the nonprofit life cycle, we're really just leaving startup and into growth, into the growth phase. So we're ramping up on our classes, we've expanded our staff, we're slowly scaling up, and we've been doing well, but I feel like Richmond and America in general is really hungry for what we're offering, but they don't know that we're here. So as an all-volunteer-run organization, you grow very organically, you grow word of mouth. And so one of the things that happened when we hired staff is this shift to becoming, you know, this wide-reaching, high-impact nonprofit organization in Richmond. And we realized that we were marketing ourselves to ourselves. So we were people that already knew the content. And the language that we used really reflected that. It was kind of very academic language. And if you are in the field, then you know what that language is. But when you're not, then it can be a little bit intimidating. And so, you know, we started continuously working to be less intimidating, less exclusive, more warm and welcoming. And about a, six months ago, hired a real, we had the extreme fortune to hire a really competent marketing person. And she started asking us the, these powerful questions. And as we answered the questions, we realized that we needed to elevate, is what I would say, we needed to elevate our brand and we needed to unfold in, in new ways that were really warm and welcoming to our community. We wanted to widen our audience and do what we get up every morning to do, you know, but to, to more people. And so that's what I see as successfully achieving your mission. You know, we could be as wise as you can be and be speaking to nobody and having no impact. Yeah. So it's really important if we're going to be a wide-reaching, high-impact organization that our brand is welcoming and accessible. And Chrysalis is a beautiful name. It is very appropriate for the work that we do. You know, these are programs that transform 
your, you know, humanity, um, or yourself, but not everyone remembers their third grade science that a chrysalis is when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And even if they do, there are many, many internal steps that they have to take to get to, okay, so they offer programs, they offer programs, you know, that center around transformation. So we hope that with our new brand, we are getting rid of those steps. Yeah. Um, and that it's a little bit more clear. And essentially, a name is just a vessel. And we are filling that vessel with the same quality programs, same types of programs that, that we have been. But, you know, we're really upping our cocktail game. Yeah. <laughs> so when we go out, people say, you know, so where do you work? You know, yeah. it's, I can give them the name and then not have to describe what that is and then describe our mission. And, you know, I, I always got, I personally always got hung up on the word spirituality. Before I came to Chrysalis, I didn't have the awareness that spirituality can be something separate from religion. Now I look back and say, oh my gosh, I've been this really spiritual person my whole life. I just thought it was tied to religion. And since I'm not religious, I thought I wasn't spiritual. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of people tie the word spirituality to religion. Now, there are a lot of seekers, a lot of people who who don't at all, who clearly see the distinction. Yeah. But I don't think that's the majority. And in fact, what I was finding is that I would say, you know, we encourage people to think about spirituality and, you know, outside of conventional boundaries of anyone faith, and I've already lost them. Yes. (laughs) And they're oftentimes, you know, metaphorically putting their hand up to say, well, I don't want religion, so I don't want what you're selling. Or they say, I already have religion, so I don't want what you're selling. And then there's a lot of sort of backpedaling I had to do. No, 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 it has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with living a meaningful life. It has to do with the interconnectedness and something bigger than ourselves. But by then, you know, you're at a cocktail party. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely. You're on to the next person. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. So we're really working. So in terms of our rebrand, it's not just uh, the name that we're looking at, but really crystallizing what is our intention to do this work and how do we deliver that intention with clarity? Mm -hmm. I was in a meeting the other day and this person in the meeting said, a confused mind says no. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I think I've thought of that quote. I don't even actually know who was the original person that said that, but I thought of that quote every day since. And that's exactly why we're doing a rebrand is a confused mind says no. And this work is urgent and relevant for everybody, but they don't know it because it's a little bit confusing. Yes. So let's get better at telling our story so that you, Sheila, can say, oh, yeah, this is for me. I need this in my life right now. And the same with everybody else, that there's really no one that doesn't need this work. Although I'll say we don't serve children at this time. Just adults. Yeah. I am obsessed with that quote now. (laughs) I need to find out who says it and like where it came from. Yeah. Because I think that's something that a lot of organizations struggle with. You know, unless your name says this is what we are and says it very clear, it's hard for someone new to the organization to actually absorb the information that you're telling them because as soon as they hear the name, they're already forming associations in their head about what that means to them. So it's almost like the name and the brand has to say has to like say that without so many words. So that makes total sense. And I bet so many, you know, donors knock on the door, you know, other supporters knock on the door. And as soon as they get confused, it's like, "Mm, this isn't for me. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. That's really interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really that's really good advice, and I'm, I'm obsessed with that quote. Cool. So, all right. So to wrap it up, I have to ask everyone this question because I just think self care when you work for a nonprofit is so 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 important, and it just it gets overlooked and. You know, it, in some of these organizations, you, know, you may not feel as if you know you have this high-powered job. You're working on Wall Street or whatever, but there's a lot of emotional toiling that happens in the field. So, along those lines, what do you do for self-care, and do you have any tips? <laughs> uh, I do a lot. <laughs> it's kind of my job. I, I have to. I feel like I. I definitely have to model self-care as the executive director of this organization, <laughs> which serves me very well. <laughs> um, so I will, I'll share a couple of things that I do in no particular order of importance. But one, meditate. So I have a daily practice. Massage once a month. This, to me, is not a luxury. It is a basic human need. <laughs> um, again, I recognize that that is a privilege. <laughs> Movement. Moving, recognizing that my head is attached to my body and not just this thing that carries my brain around, but that it actually helps to let your body do some thinking for you every once in a while and listen to the wisdom that your body holds for you. Spending quality time with no electronics with my wife and (laughs) and kids um, is very good for my soul. Um, Nurturing my friendships as an extrovert, super duper important. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Um, Listening to music and then also playing my own part in healing the world. And so actively advocating for people who are suffering from systemic oppression. And while that is heavy work, you might not think of that as self-care. It is also my own self-care because of the interconnectedness of all of life, because we are connected. And so if you're suffering, I'm suffering, you know, and my safety is connected to your safety. And so that is not only self-preservation, but it is self-care. Oh, that is wonderful. I'm sure I'm I'm really hoping listeners take at least one of those because that is some really, really, really great tips. So that is all that I have. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I think a lot of listeners will learn from everything you have to offer. This is fun. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Before you go, would you like to receive exclusive tips and resources to help you build an exceptional nonprofit organization? If this sounds like something you'd like, head on over to thirdsuite.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter. This is a short email packed with tons of helpful links, as well as exclusive opportunities available for subscribers only. Okay, guys, thanks so much for listening. See you next week.